Welcome to Imperfect Action. I'm Brock Edwards, and we have got the co-founders for Airship here. We've got Trent and Adam. Uh, we're just going to jump right in. Actually, this is one of those where we're, our pre-conversation, we probably should have been recording, so we'll we'll just jump in and try and replicate a little bit of that. Trent, Adam, can you introduce yourself? Sure. Uh, Trent Kasarik here, um, co-founder, CEO of Airship. Uh, happy to be here. Um I won't go into my bio too far back, Brock, but uh, thanks so much for having us. Yeah, this is uh, Adam Aldridge. I'm the president and founder at Airship as well. Well, first off, what is Airship? Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, so that, that's that's uh, that's a great question. If you would have asked us that a couple of years ago, we probably would have said, well, we are a company that builds web and mobile applications. Uh, that, that is at our core what we offer, but... Uh, over the past uh, couple of years, we've really, really honed in on where our expertise lie. And so what we do today is we build experiences. Um, we want to create transformational change in our crew and our clients and, our, and the communities that we serve. So when I say experiences, I mean absolutely the software that we build. Uh, we build high quality web and mobile applications that get the job done, that um, give the customers what they need and what they ask for. But then we also really layer that uh, that process with those delightful experiences that really have us stand out. Um, so at the end of the day, we build software, but we do it in such a way that we feel uh, really makes an impact on more than just their business, but their lives in general. So how does that, how does that play out different? You know, just that, that, that philosophical difference of we're not just building great software, but we're creating experiences that affect their lives. Yeah. So if you, if you, if you think back into when you're walking down the street, right, and you've got two coffee shops sitting next to each other, both of them have the same uh, price of coffee and, and, and maybe even the same taste of coffee, but maybe one has a very personalized message out front that, that says, hey, Trent, come on in. We'd love to see you versus another one that just has a chalkboard that says coffee, two bucks. Uh, those little pieces of information, that little bit of personality will go a long way. I will walk into that second coffee shop. So in an industry like ours, when there, I can pick up my phone here and, and throw it and I'll probably hit 12 uh, agencies that just started that know how to write code because you can learn it on YouTube these days. You have to really, those those small personal experiences are what stand apart, stand, make you stand out. They, they're, they're, they're what differentiate you in this uh, in this um, in this industry. And then also it actually plays really well in the types of people that we've hired and, and atomized personality of, of just trying to please people and make them happy. Um, so it's, it's gone a long way. That's why the culture and brand has really shown that and it does make a difference at the end of the day. So how did you get to that point? Because you, you said that, you know, if I'd asked you a couple of years ago, you would have given me a slightly different answer. What, what was the journey to saying, Hey, it's not enough just to build really great software. We, we need to do more. Well, I think it was when we were more and more, we were finding out, you know, companies were coming to us or, or startups were coming to us and saying, this is what we need. And we were really good at taking what they need. Or I take that back. This is what we want, right? This is, this is a software that we want. We want it to do this, this, and this. And, and, and you click this button and, and it does this. So we were very good at collecting that information and then we deliver exactly what they wanted. But more often than not, it was not exactly what they needed. We, we could feel that. We can see that. And again, I think it's that it's kind of ingrained uh, in us to kind of feel the we didn't go that extra mile. Um, and 
we started feeling that more and more. We weren't delivering on this promise of excellence that we talk a lot about uh, within our company where people walk away not only saying, oh, thanks, I appreciate that. That's, that is exactly what I wanted. Uh, we want people to say, man, I didn't even think about that. Uh, I didn't even think about it in that way. To get to that point, you have to empathize with people. You have to really get, you have to make them feel comfortable enough to talk to you about their dog and their daughter and their son and their husband or their wife. You have to get them conversing with you. To get them conversing with you, you have to get them to trust you. And to get them to trust you, you really have to show a general interest in them as a person. So it, it kind of worked its way back from that. It, it worked its way back from Adam and I wanting to deliver them not just what they wanted, but exactly what they needed. Uh, we wanted them to feel better about uh, the business that they were about to create or the opportunity that they were about to take uh, take on. And the software was going to help them do that. We wanted it to be a little bit more. And again, to do that, we knew that we had to kind of work backwards into a more personalized experience of empathy and, and, and getting them to trust us. So it all stemmed back from really just our passion to, to deliver more than, uh, than they were asking. Well, Trent, what you're saying there, I mean, to me, that cuts across industries, cuts across fields, this distinction between what the customer wants and what the customer actually needs. And at least from my experience, sometimes they don't know what they actually need or what they actually need may be at odds with what they think they want. So how do, and if you've experienced that as well, how do you get the customer to help help them let you know what they need even when they don't quite know what it is or maybe don't think they want that if i don't know if that question makes sense or not but oh it makes perfect sense uh it's it's something that we grapple a lot with or we did early on and it's really coming at it from a different perspective and i think this is why adam and i are such a power uh powerhouse here is adam thinks very strategically uh if you give him a process that needs to be systematized or that needs to be repeated or that needs to go in the weeds and like figure it out this guy is the guy for it. Like Adam Aldridge is the man for that. Whereas he adds that layer of it. And then I come at it from a very uh, empathetic, high level, 30,000 foot view, uh, visions type of side. You put those two together and, and, and it just makes wonders. It makes fireworks. So going back to that a little bit though, is when we approach it that way, if one of us or both of us weren't on the same team, we wouldn't have come about with what I'm about to say now. And it really comes down to it's, it's a practice. It's a standard practice. It's called UX. It's user experience. There are, there are people and there are processes and there are systems in place to ask specific questions in specific ways to make people really think from their customer's perspective. So you're right. It spans every industry that uh, is across the board. Um, it's all about being what, what's called human-centered, where you're understanding just truly who your customer is. So to do that, let's take your example, for instance, where someone, you know, they come in and they say, this is exactly what I want and this is who I'm building it for. And we have to say, you know what, that's probably a bad idea. And, and this is how we would go about that. We would show them why. We would say, let's define your customers. Let's let's define these personas that you're building this product or this software service for. Let's understand and let's take you through the journey that they are going to do to interact with them. How are they going to uh, interact with your software? How are you going to make money off of that interaction? Once you lay it out like that, where people can actually see it from not only the 30,000 foot view, but then you take Adam's genius and put that on top of it. And so this is what actually legitimately makes sense from a monetary revenue standpoint as well. That's how you convince them. You can't just do it by talking them and saying, hey, this is what we believe because we've been doing this for a long time. It's really 
being intentional about taking them through a process to have that other end show them that it's the right way. So we have a process called mapping that does just that. We start with that idea, that thought, that uh, general concept, and then we act like we've never heard of it before. We act like we've never met them before. And and sometimes we haven't. Uh, Some of our team has it. And we come at it from a completely customer focus standpoint, as if we were going to be the customer for you, let's dig into that a little bit further. And, and it has to have data at the end. So user experience, very important for what we do and, and, and make sure whenever they go into building that software, it's the right piece of software that they're building. Well, now there's two sides to that as well, when you're thinking about serving the customer at that level. And I used to use the equation, CX is less than or equal to EX. And what that means to me is that the customer experience will never exceed the employee experience. I like that. What have you done on the employee side, on the culture side, on building your business? Because I can imagine a lot of people saying, hey, I just want to code. And you're talking about creating, and you haven't used these words, but you know, this magical experience. <laughs> Uh, yeah, that, that's, that's, that's where I think it's, it's even more important. I'll let Adam definitely talk more about what we do intentionally to make sure that the people that come on board have a, uh, a very good outlook on what they're getting into from a day-to-day operation standpoint. But again, at the end of the day, it's, it takes two pieces. So me over here talking on a, on about, you know, magical moments and experiences and about all the little things that the emotions that people feel is part of the equation, but then you also have to have the tactical, this is how we're going to execute on that. And that's where Adam comes into play. So Adam, talk a lot about uh, our, you know, how we do that. Yeah, yeah that's a great question. Um, I, to me, really, I always like to say, you know, you want people to wake up really excited about what they're fixing to do. Uh, they need to they need to go to bed knowing exactly what they need to work on the next day and wake up really excited to go do that thing. So that was always really important to me because if you, you as a founder aren't setting that, you know, that vision and making sure that they know they need to execute on that, then they get kind of lost in in the weeds and things. So that's one of the things that we really just ask that question a lot is make sure people know what they need to work on. Uh, and then too, like picking projects that fit your culture and make sure that uh, the things that the people are working on that in your culture, they're excited about. Like we've said no to a lot of projects early on and they had some big, some big revenue numbers on them, but they didn't fit what we were trying to build and the projects that Trent and I were excited about. So you really got to make sure that you're not doing it just for money, but you're doing it for things that are exciting to your crew and your, you know, yourself in general. So those are some things I like to look at. Well, let me ask ask that because I've had guests, uh, musicians talk about this a little bit and you, you hear, uh, actors sometimes talk about this, you, you know, the, like ba- basically you'll do one blockbuster film so that you can afford to do two art projects, you know, t- two, two things that you're passionate about. And then you got to go back and make some money in, in this other thing. And, and, and so how do you decide like, okay, we've got to keep the doors open. We've got staff we're accountable to, you know, got to pay the bills. And yet there is something around making sure that the customer is a great fit for who you are and what you do. And maybe it doesn't get down to this fine line that I'm thinking it does, but, but where do you kind of draw that mark between, yeah, I think we're going to take this and, uh, or maybe we shouldn't. Yeah, that's a, that's a really good question. I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive, at least in the software industry. Um, it may be because the industry we are in, there's so much opportunity to, 
reinvent industries uh, through technology. It's just exciting and fun. I mean, you know, people, you take like taxis, that's boring to someone, but you take Uber, put that on top of it. Now it's an exciting idea. So there's a lot of opportunity out there for us to just kind of be part of that process and reinventing things. Uh, so I don't think they have to be mutually exclusive. However, there are some times where we need to look at, you know, working with some larger enterprise customers where that work, um, while lucrative, wouldn't be a lot of fun. Um, the expectations of, like one of the things we had to draw a line in the sand in early on is like, we're not going to be the company that puts a butt in the seat because we feel like we lose our ability to take our culture and make sure that those developers are, are happy doing what they're doing and building things that are exciting to them. So we had to draw a line in the sand and say, we're not going to be that company. Now, if you want us to execute on something and get something done, we can do that in-house and help deliver that alongside your team. Um, and, you know, some companies said, nope, we're not going to do that. Some of them said, I did not expect you to answer that way, but that's interesting that you would turn down work. And they actually decided to work with us and, and go through that process. So I think, you know, you just got to be true to who you are and be willing to say no. And sometimes people come back and they respect that and they say, okay, well, all right, we'll give it, give it a shot your way. Yeah. And I think I'll add on to that. That's a fantastic point, uh, Adam. And I think another thing, there's, there's two other things I'd like to add on to it. One is perspective. Uh, and, and being able to at the leadership level, when those do come along where there's a, a hint of maybe it's boring now, but we have an opportunity here to really deliver something that, like Adam said, kind of transform the way people look at that specific industry or that specific task. You have to have people in your leadership team at the helm that can take that mundane uh, project or that 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 seemingly somewhat boring project and put a twist on it and inspire people and let them see like but you can do you can make it a little bit more exciting or you can actually dig in a little bit harder and a little bit more into that problem to make sure that it's not just boring at the end of the day that you're able to to make that change that transformational change so that's one thing I think being able to align perspectives with what we are good at and and make sure that people kind of get on board and inspire them to to see the deeper uh, opportunity there. But another thing is, is we've also taken those. So uh, let, let's not, I won't, you know, lie to you here. There's definitely been ones that we've accepted and we didn't just from the gate say, oh, well, we're going to turn all of these down because we know. No, we've, we've taken on projects in the past that we realized we weren't ready for because there was a specific way that we needed to interact with folks given our remote, uh, our remote environment the culture that we were building that we realized at the end of the day, we weren't, we were doing a disservice to them. And this was very early on, but we were doing a disservice to them. It was doing a disservice to our team. So it wasn't something that we magically just started doing and saying, okay, this just feels right. We learned from experience that we knew as we, when we were at certain levels of the company, which customers we were going to be able to serve and provide value to more than others. Now I will say, I'm happy to say that today we do, uh, we do help a lot of large, large, very, very large companies, enterprise level companies, um, you know, solve those problems and, and capitalize on those opportunities. But again, it's early on, it was being very intentional about saying, this is going to be uh, the way that we do business. Uh, and we, and it's the way that this is the reason we got into business is to make sure that we can control that little ecosystem. And we're going to win some, we're going to lose some. Luckily, we've been right more than wrong. So that's helped. Well, when you talk about being intentional, where, where and how does that show up? I mean, I'm not sure if that's a good question for you, just because 
well, you can't be like part-time intentional. <laughs> uh, you can't be only intentional about some things. I don't think. Um, so what, what is the framework that you use around the intentionality? Does yeah, that that's, that's a good, it, it does make sense. So, um, I actually did a talk on this not too long ago and it was, it was titled intentional culture. So intentionality, you're right. It cannot be half done. It could not be kind of, sort of, I feel like being intentional today because it's Monday and it's sunny outside. Um, it's very much, again, has to be baked into the leadership and it has to be part of your hiring process. So there are ways for you to, and the, the questions that you ask and the way that people go about answering things uh, during the interview process and when they're on the job, the way that you can see people take action and that they're people of action and intentionality kind of just shows up there. You want to get more of those folks on. So we were lucky enough at, at early on, even the first few folks that we hired, um, they had that about them. But since then, it's really about learning. I mean, we read a lot. We learn from the best in the business out there and, and so many different books and that inspire us, uh, not just books, but mentorship. So we had mentors that were very uh, keen on making sure that we were making some of the right decisions and, and we were learning from them, being very humble in that way. Um, and, and then again, we kind of put all of that together into what, who are we inside and what company we're trying to build. So we put intentionality around hiring. So when I say that, I just mean, making sure that you interview people and determine uh, if they're going to be the right fit. So we go back to culture index. There's very much an intentionality. We build a profile of what someone with this profile will be successful in here, not just for us as a company, but for them, they're going to be happy in here. We put intentionality around firing and letting people go. There's, that's If you're not intentional about that, that could be the biggest thing that bites you in the end. So making sure that you, you keep a very, very clear focus on not the people that you're letting go, but the people that are behind that, that glass or that, that door uh, behind that conference room when you're having to actually do that. That, is, that takes some intentionality too. And it takes making sure that your mindset's right. Uh, and trusting people. This is something that we've had to do over the years is really back ourselves out of the business. Adam and I are developers by trade. We're, we're technical founders. So actually saying, no, I'm not going to take another project when we got big enough where we had other people that can do that, that's intentionality too. So really stepping back and saying it out loud and acting it out at the same time around trusting others to be able to do what you've kind of built on, uh, from your own kind of hard work. Um, intentional about inspiring others. Like I repeat our mission statement often. Uh, we say the word intentional probably too much, but we do that intentionally. <laughs> Again, I don't want people to when they walk away, when they, when they go home, they're using these words. When you hear two people talk together, they're talking about, you know, pursuing excellence and having intentionality behind everything that they do. It's become, it's ingrained in the culture. And that takes your leadership being intentional about making sure that that's ingrained in there and then growing the business as well. And that, that kind of goes back to what you were talking about earlier about, or what we were talking about earlier about choosing which which clients to go after and, and, and really being intentional about when a client comes to us, asking that question of if they hadn't come to us, how much time and effort would we have spent to go after this specific client? That's a fun question to ask because if you ask that question and it's, well, I probably would have never even tried to go after that client. They don't really necessarily fit what I say is the ideal client that tells you something. So I think we do a lot of that retroactive introspection of our processes, of our people, of, of everything that we do. And if that's not intentionality, I may have uh, misdefined it or, or looked it up wrong, but that's, that's some examples of how we use it in, in, in the way that it's a day-to-day -day thing for us. 
Nice, nice. So I'm gonna I'm gonna switch gears on you a little bit here, guys. Um, and, and I love the, these thoughts around it. You know, being an entrepreneur, being a founder, that it gets glamorized a lot these days. And what except you know what you guys have described, you you hear so you're in an industry where you're doing things differently. You're focusing on experiences, not just the the output. Uh, you're you know being intentional, being intentional about culture, about everything that you said. And I mean, you also mentioned that you, you've got people working remotely. And then you've also at least hinted at a little bit that, you know, the, the both of you have different styles as well as how you approach things. So, you know, you put all that together. What are some of the growing pains that you've experienced and, and how have you dealt with them over the, you know, the, the growth of Airship? Oh man, <laughs> that's a fun one. That is a fun one, Adam. Uh, you want to talk about the times where we were afraid to make payroll uh, and then we, we skipped our we skipped our own payroll? Um, yeah, yeah, I can I can go through. Um, there there have been so many phases, and I'm sure we have a lot more to to go as well. But um, yeah, let, let me go through some some phases that I vaguely remember as uh, as we went through this. So there was the just two guys kind of like figuring it out phase, which was just me and Trent. I mean, we both had full-time jobs working at a company, a local company uh, called Daxco. That was a great place. Uh, but we just both are just entrepreneurs at heart and knew that we wanted to start something. And um, so you have to figure out that phase of being able to make that leap into the next realm. And, and how do you do that? Right. And so we, we both aren't, we don't come from wealthy backgrounds. We don't have giant bank accounts where we could just not work for, six months while we figured this out. So uh, we just started bootstrapping it, working nights and weekends, saving every dime that we could, we could uh, find. We took every little project that we could take for a thousand bucks here, 3000 bucks there. And uh, we just kept saving that up until we, we built up a little bit of a customer base um, and were able to kind of say, all right, we, we put a little spreadsheet together that said, what's the minimum number that I need to be able to like eat and have a house and my wife not kill me and be able to feed my kids. Cause we both, you know, we both have kids, we both are, are married. And um, so we came up with that number and, and it was really interesting. That helped us a lot because we were able to say, Hey, that's, that's not a big number. I think it ended up being like 25 bucks an hour or something like that. So it wasn't just a, a giant number that said, you know, I can always go find a way to make $25 an hour we're going to figure this out. So that gave us a little bit of security to make that leap. And um, once we did that, you know, that was really good. And then, then you hit that next phase of you've got, you're starting to get more work than you can handle as two people. And that's when we hired our first uh, crew member, which actually is my brother uh, at the time he was working for another uh, consulting firm and he was just kind of looking, they were having him travel a little bit and he wanted to work on some remote stuff. So we ended up uh, bringing him on board and that's a nice little first phase of growth when you've got someone else other than the two of you relying on you to pay them every week, which, you know, that's another level that you have to start thinking through is like, you're responsible for these people. And uh, that was a fun phase. And then, then the next phase was hiring your first non-billable employee. That was really, that was probably the biggest scare to me because uh, so we, we needed to hire a project manager because at this point we had, it was like four of us. We were all developers. Every hour that we spent, we could directly contribute to a dollar coming in. 
So there wasn't much risk in that because we knew, well, if we've got four people, we're all billing four people at this rate. As long as we have these projects, we're, we're going to be okay. Well, now you're hiring someone who comes in who doesn't bill. They're you know considered overhead at that point. Um, but, but you have to do that. You have to be able to make that leap because if you can't, you can't grow. Because if someone can't take those responsibilities to manage those projects, then there's no way you can keep bringing uh, more builders on from our end. And so, and then we, so we need to hire a salesperson. We need to hire a project manager. And making that leap was, was pretty um, scary, honestly. And uh, there was a couple of times early on, too, where Trent and I couldn't pay ourselves. That was really scary as well. Uh, when you tell your wife that this is going to be worth it. We, we can do this. And then that first paycheck doesn't come in because you don't have enough cash in the bank. Uh, she gets a little leery, but my wife's awesome. She supported us uh, through this whole process and she, she's just like, okay, we'll, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll work through this. Um, so those are some early phases. Trent, you want to talk about some of the, the later ones or did I miss anything there? No, you went through the scary ones that I usually cringe over and, and, but, but looking back, I mean, I think those are the ones that we, we learned a lot about ourselves, uh, about what we were trying to do. Um, and really understanding that we do have control, uh, as much as that was out of control, I think it made us realize that we did have, uh, more control over the outcomes. And that was, I think that's what inspired us to kind of keep going to was, it was really fun building, uh, our own little ecosystem there and then the team that, that saw us through. So, yeah, I mean, we, we went from um, not having a ton of money uh, and not having a lot of direction and, and bringing on some folks that, again, weren't, were, were, if you want to use the term overhead at that point, to um, we started getting more and more stable. So we didn't mention this, but as we were building the company, we were actually building a product. So we started out as an uh, airship. We were doing consulting uh, to really pay the bills and to bootstrap this idea that Adam and I had had when we were working those late nights and weekends. And that was early in 2013. As that company grew and as that product company grew, Airship, the passion was very, very much on the thing that we were doing, honestly, as kind of the the uh, money-making engine to our our, uh, our SaaS product. And, and when we were doing that uh, a couple of years in, we realized that we can't ignore that. I mean, we were getting pulled into that passion very, very hard. We sold that SaaS company. And really in 2016 is when we really started focusing on just strictly building those experiences that we do today. So, you know, all of those, uh, those pitfalls or those lessons learned throughout the early stage are probably similar to a lot of folks have. It just takes a lot of courage. Like we were, we were offering pretty low salaries for folks that were, um, that were worth much, much more. Uh, and they were saying yes. So uh, at, at some point, you just going to have to like take that risk and take that step and hope that it works out. Um, you're not going to be able to plan for everything that happens was the biggest thing that we learned is mm. when you got a wife and a kid and Adam had three kids at this point. Uh, I had just gotten married literally months before. Um, and then I had, you know, early on, I had a son coming uh, on the way. So those are things that at that point you really want to feel like you have it all figured out and that you can bullet point everything out. I think this is where people get stuck. There's that paralysis of, well, I can't answer that specific question. If I make this decision, I legitimately have no idea which way it could go. And one way is really bad. Typically not as bad as you think, but you really in your brain think it's the worst thing that could ever happen. Or this is like, okay, we're, we're going to, it's just another step and it's going to move us down closer to our goal. So I think that was one of the biggest takeaways that Adam and I had early on was 
you know, you're not going to have it all figured out. You're not going to be able to put it all into a spreadsheet. You're going to be able to put some things into a spreadsheet, but you're not going to be able to put it all into a spreadsheet. And you're just sometimes going to have to step out there and, and, uh, and trust that, uh, you've done all you could to answer all the questions that you can. And now it's time yeah. to test it out. I think, I think too, it's really important for anybody that's sitting in that place where we were, uh, you know, if you've got a family, or you're married, make sure they're on board. Uh, and, and both of the founders need to do that. Like I remember Trent and I having those conversations early on, like, is your wife on board with this? And we both, we got our wives together and we talked about this as a group and it wasn't, you know, just us, Trent and I having this vision and executing on it without our families involved in this, because it will weigh heavily on your families early on. It's just going to, because you're going to be sacrificing a lot of time and money and and resources into this thing. And you need to, when things aren't going well, you need to know that your, your family's behind you in this. And so I think that's one of the really critical things that we both were pretty smart about that even now, like it just, it's still, that kind of stuff still comes up. So, yeah, it strikes me that you guys must be just, you know, incredible salesmen in that, you know, you've managed to convince your spouses, convince early employees, convince each other that, no, really, it's all good. We can't pay ourselves this month, but, you know, it's great. Hang in there. And um, how how do you do that? How do you keep yourself psyched up? I mean, it's hard enough to keep your own self following the dream, keep moving forward. But then you've also got, you know, the, the ups and downs emotions of your spouse. And, but then you throw in a partner and then you throw in your partner's spouse. And then you throw in just the responsibility of taking care of the employees. How do you keep yourself focused forward in those days where you're kind of thinking that maybe that full-time job wasn't such a bad thing after all? Well, Brock, when you put it that way, man, I don't know. I'm, uh, I'm kind of, <laughs> I'm feeling like we missed something here, man. Uh, now, I think that was crazy. What were you thinking? Yeah, man, you're right. We shouldn't even, what is this? What's going on? No, uh, I think it's very, very much laughing. We're doing this right now, but this is, we did this a lot. Like there are some things that you're just going to have to be like, man, this could go a totally different direction. I'm a, just a naturally, like, I joke probably when I shouldn't, no, not probably, I, I joke often. And in and, and the most serious of times, uh, I will find myself joking about it or laughing about it. And it's probably not uh, the greatest moments at all times. But I think for me personally, and Adam will have a different, uh, a different answer to this, but I humor is a huge thing for me. Just having this, finding the funny in, in many different things. I can make a joke out of many different things. And I think just looking back on that, I'm also able to make other people laugh. Uh, that, that's just part of my personality as well. Um, I, I talk until they do start laughing and it's either because I'm saying something funny or they just can't believe that I can talk that long. So there's so many different things that I think pers- each, each, each person involved has to have their own outlet. And I know uh, personally for me, like I said, it's humor. It's, it's keeping... Uh, joking about the things, even in the hard times, it's also that really that introspective uh, nature. I am, I've got that uh, empathetic kind of emotional approach to certain things. So I will be the one that sits down and opens up a meditation app and just tries to go silent for a little bit and think uh, because I have a million things going on in my head. So there, everybody's going to have their own outlet. It's all about finding which one is right for you. And again, mine's humor, introspection, and um, and then obviously getting others involved in those two things uh, when it comes to my family and my team. What about you, Adam? Yeah. 
Yeah, for me, I think uh, I'm not sure, Brock, if you're familiar. Have you seen Simon Sinek's Golden Circle? Have you heard of that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, that always resonated with me because just, just the phrase in there that people don't buy what you do; they buy why you do it. Mm-hmm. And I, I think that goes for people too. I think people see like if they believe in what you're doing and they see that you're passionate about it, you're honest about it, you're authentic. And they're interested in that. Um, money isn't the only thing that drives people to want to follow that with you. They want to go on that journey with you through that. So I think just finding the right people that that line up with your vision, that was really critical. Uh, I remember Luke uh, Richardson. He's one of our early, he is, he is our head of sales and just been a great, great asset to our team, really helped our business grow. He was one of the early ones uh, that came on board. I think he was number six, if I remember right. And he, uh, he had this great job, corporate job offer, uh, paid way more than we could, we could even offer him three times and, more. uh, three times. Yeah, three times more than we could offer him. And, uh, he was working with the recruiter and, and I remember Luke finally accepted our offer and the recruiter told him, he said, uh, he said, wait a minute, you're going to do what now? He said, I'm going to hang up the phone. I'm going to call you back tomorrow to make sure you're not crazy for taking this offer. And just having someone that that really wanted to join our company and be part of what we were doing, it was just, that was really rewarding. And those were early phases too. Like we had no, no idea. And we, we, we could only offer what we could pay because in those early phases, you don't, if you're, especially if you're bootstrapping, but you don't have the money. So you're not, you're being honest with them, with them when you're saying, I can't pay you. Like it's not, it's not that I don't want to, I just can't. But if you set that ceiling where you say, you know, your, your ceiling with airship is way higher than your ceiling with any other company because you're getting in early and you have the opportunity to grow with us and make this company what you want. Uh, that, I think that really resonates with with employees and um, with the people that want to work with you. Adam, you brought up a good point there, and I want to I want to add on to that too. It's that's why I think it's so important for if you start with the money side of things, and I, and I'm a huge Simon uh, Sinek fan as well. But if you start with why and and generally have that passion, you have to. I mean, there's there's no way around it. That is the only thing that carries you through. You have to believe what you're doing is actually making a difference. You have to believe that. What you're doing is different than what other people are doing. Even if it's, it seems that there's a lot of people out there that do what you do, there are certain things that you can do from an exterior experience standpoint and from um, a, a team building standpoint that does absolutely set us apart. Um, so I think for any anybody else out there that's listening, if, if, if you're not passionate about the thing and you're more passionate about what that thing can provide monetarily – you're starting off on a pretty rocky start. And when it goes and hits that valley, you have a very low likelihood of coming out of that valley. So when Adam and I were coming in, it's not that it was easy to sail because we believed it. Like, and we still do. Like it's morphed, maybe, but at the end of the day, it hasn't morphed into something completely different. It's only really chiseled away at what we already knew was there. We just couldn't articulate it back then. And as we started adding more people and more personalities and we started learning more about ourselves and, and going through those hard times, it really etched into stone where we are today. And I know there's still some chiseling to do, but it's not just about being a salesperson. It's literally to be the best salesperson and, and tell someone that they're going to make, again, three times less than what the other person, but you just got to trust us. There's obviously some inherent underlying passion that has to be there because if you don't believe it, they're not going to believe it. When you're trying to bring on people early on, if you don't believe in what you're saying, 
people are smart. Some people are, some people can pick on it, pick up on it more than others, but in the end it's, it's going to get figured out. So you can look at our track record. You can look at the people that have come on um, and the people that have stayed and, and, and you'll see, I hope, and, and this is where we pride ourselves that we just have amazing people that believe the same things that we believe that if you work hard enough and you care about people enough and you really do focus on building that experience and setting yourself apart and, and knowing that that can create some transformational change across the board, then it's, it's, let's go. Like, <laughs> sign me up. And that's the type of folks that we've had. And again, it started with us really believing in what we had. So, uh, best salesmen actually believe in the product they're selling, wouldn't you think? Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, guys, uh, the, this has been great. I love hearing about your journey and building Airship and the, the shifting focus and really the idea of building experiences. Um, I mean, we could dig and dig and dig into this for, for quite a while. Is there anything I haven't asked you that you were just hoping I would bring up? I, I think I know one thing that Adam and I realize probably more recently than, than others is the way that we work together uh, and having a co-founder. You, you alluded to it earlier about, you know, that that could add stress to it because it's family, it's crew, it's a co-founder. That's what I think is so special about mine and Adam's relationship. We can have an argument or we can, we can kind of duke it out and then come back the next day and, and, and just get right back to it. Cause underlying, we, we both care about the company that much, but at the same time, we're different people. I, I think too often technical or just founders in general, and I'm not saying I know all, but I, I can imagine this happening. Founder, founders find each other in school in the same classes, uh, in the same bar, in the same pool house, wherever they find themselves, it's typically they they find people very similar to them. And sometimes I, that's not the best. Uh, if you look at Adam and I, like from a social aspect, we would have never run into each other if it wasn't for Daxco. Uh, we, w- we, we wouldn't have hung in the same circles necessarily, not in a bad way. It just we, we just had different paths in our lives. And I think his his um, personality and his uh, drive for focus and his just undying like process oriented, task oriented approach, and and my just vision. I've got to be at thirty thousand foot. You put me in the weeds. Good luck getting getting great stuff out of that. You put two different people in the same team. I think that's what's really made it. So uh, there's there's a really uh, solid thing we just learned earlier about the visionary and the integrator. And having two people at the helm of a company, one being the visionary, always has to have an integrator. And an integrator has to start with the visionary as well. So I think that's something that we've recently found. And man, it's just, it's made a world of difference. Once we actually just realized that that's kind of the way we stood, uh, that's helped our business tremendously. And I think it's going to help take us to that next level too. You know, sometimes when people are different, you know, like, like what you, you've experienced, what you've described, you know, you, you uh, complement each other very well, build off each other's strengths, but sometimes you just butt heads also. What, what is it about your relationship that's enabled you to complement each other rather than just kind of create walls for each other? I think it goes down to the underlying, like, passion for the company. We saw each, I think too often people butt heads and, and you'll find that they butt heads probably because one feels like they're working more than the other. That's me guessing, but I've seen a lot of that where so-and-so will bring up, well, I'm, I'm 
busting it over here and you're out here swimming in the pool and, and hanging out and spending money. So I think what helped us was early on, there was no question as to how hard we were going to work and the amount of passion that we had behind the company because both of us had full-time jobs. We were in the same company, right? We knew what each other was doing on a daily basis already. And then to see each of us on our vacation days and on our time and, and then at nights and weekends put in and be online and be present and be just highly involved and be super passionate that it just got the relationship off to a good start. So if, if we would have seen, I guarantee if we each of either one of us would have seen early on in that phase where, Oh, so-and-so is just slacking or, you know, he's, he's, he's taking off all these weekends where I'm doing this work. If we would have seen that, I guarantee we wouldn't have been where we are today, but that was a good test. So when you're looking for a founder, Find a problem to work on with them and literally try to f- match toe to toe a little bit of the, the passion and the drive and the, your, some, some of your work schedule and see if that person lines up with that. Because if you don't have someone that's willing to put in just as much work and effort and have that same amount of passion, I think that's where a lot of them fall apart. Yeah. Yeah. And I think you can't be selfish in that phase. Like a lot of people have an ego and they think, well, this entrepreneurship thing is all about me and uh, what I look like to the outside world or how much money I make. Like you, you just can't think like that. You have to think about what you're building as a group. And, you know, Trent and I are working in this together. And sometimes that means I'm going to have to sacrifice a little bit more. And sometimes it means he's going to have to sacrifice a little bit more. Sometimes, you know, Trent may get to go do a news, uh, you know, be on TV or something like that. And I've got to put my ego aside and know that I'm not going to be, you know, put in front of that camera and shown that I'm doing great or anything like that. So you got to put all that stuff aside and just say, what's the best thing for the company as we grow? Um, it's really important. I think too, like being 50, 50, not, I think that's critical personally. I mean, cause at least for bootstrapped companies from our standpoint, if you're in it 50, 50 and you're split 50, 50 as a, an equity sharing standpoint, then there's no conversation about one person having a little bit more than the other. Like you got to be in it together. Good point. Well, guys, I, I, I love how you've combined the, the philosophical with the practical. I mean, you've shared just kind of big picture ideas around how you've approached business and how you've done it differently and how you've even approached your relationship, but also just the very practical, like, here's what we did that worked. Here's what we did that didn't work. Uh, so I really appreciate that. I, I find that very, very useful. I, for me, I like to operate on both levels. So as we wrap up here today, uh, two questions I always ask people. You know, one is where can people find you? Yeah, so we're at teamairship.com, T-E-A-M-A-I-R-S-H-I-P. Uh, that's our website. Um, our Twitter is at Team Airship. Uh, Facebook, um, we're on Instagram. Honestly, if you, if you take nothing from us today, go and follow our Instagram and our Twitter our cartographer, uh, which is our marketing person, we, 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 we stay in theme. We stay in character with all of our, uh, our uh, titles, but she does a fantastic job. Katie Deck does a fantastic job of representing our brand. So yeah, Instagram, all the major social networks, and of course, LinkedIn as well. Uh, and Adam and I are both on there as well. We'd love to chat and answer any questions. Yeah, absolutely. And feel free to, you know, anybody can email us. I'm, I'm Adam at teamership.com. Um, we'd love to give advice where we can. And we had some mentors early on that would, would help us do this and just kind of confirm, Hey, you guys are moving in the right direction. Um, so be glad to give back and, and anybody that's in those phases wants advice, feel free to email us. 
Yeah, I'm Trent at Team Airship as well. Nice. So uh, last question for you, and and you may have already kind of hit on it here, but how can the listeners help you? What would your ask of anyone listening to this be? Uh, me personally, I, I, when I think I'll speak for Adam a little bit and he'll speak for himself again, but I, we love learning. I love hearing from others about the things that they've gone through about some of the challenges that they faced. If you've heard anything that we've said today and say, you know what, I've seen that too. And this is, this made it 10 X better, or man, this, you may hit this hurdle at some point, or if you haven't hit this hurdle, let's talk about it. And let me figure out how you didn't hit the hurdle. Like, I just want to learn. So the best way that people listening can help me is, is take Adam's advice and email us, right? Follow us on, on social media, strike up a conversation and let's, let's, let's learn from each other. I think that's the biggest thing. Everybody needs to share the knowledge that they have. We came about the ways that we do things based on, yes, a lot of who we are personally and, and, and our personalities, but also a lot of learning from others. So uh, teach me something. That's what, I, that's what I would ask for other people listening. Yeah, for me, I think it's, you know, everybody's got something. I feel like they can give some advice to someone else that, you know, is kind of working towards the same position they're in. So I would say just help others where you can. I think it's really important because I just truly believe entrepreneurship and small businesses that grow into large ones. That's, that's what makes America great. It's what makes our economy really tick. And the more people we can have taking action to build businesses, to hire people, to create new things that change the world. That's, that's exciting to me. And I want to see more people doing that. So uh, don't be scared, take the action, figure it out. If you don't know how to take the next step and you want some advice, we'd be glad to help you out. Love it. Well, let's end it right there, guys. Trent, Adam, this has been fantastic. Thank you. Thank you, Brock. Yeah, thanks, Brock.